Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's V, the Grill Economist, coming to you live, and it's our main dude of the hour, the one and only Velas, folks. Velas is here with us, and CJ's working the airwaves, making sure the broadcast coming out crisp and clean. You can catch us over at roguenews.com, where we are actually friggin' live. Roguenews.com, get over there, be there, or be square, and also check us out on um, every single podcasting app. Links are in the description box. Also... Head over to MyCBDedibles.com, MyCBDedibles.com for all your CBD edible goodness. 25% off coupon code ROGUE25. Type it in that you get 25% on checkout. And with that all said and out of the way with Velas, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good. Uh, CJ and I were chatting before you got here. Um, uh, hot, off, hot off the press, uh, Alec Baldwin is the NRA's newest member. <laughs> I think he purposely shot him. <laughs> I, I think I, it was an accident, man. I, well, I was joking with the audience on the chat there in YouTube that I said, uh, you know, he shot both people and then looked around at the rest of the film crew and said, are there any questions? <laughs> <laughs> the, the other one that caught my attention this morning, and V, I'm sure uh, you probably saw this. Um, v, did you see this thing about Turkey and Erdogan with the oh, guy yeah. they got? With yeah. The, with the, with the, uh, Turkey is going after Mossad agents hard body. Yeah, the businessman Osman Kavala, for those of you who might be interested, this is sitting in Zero Hedge this morning. Uh, Ten foreign ambassadors jointly signed a statement telling the Turkish government to please cut the guy loose. And, uh, you know, the the Turks don't take kindly to that. (laughs) No, they don't. Uh, I I love the the, uh, leader of Turkey saying, what are you trying to do, teach us a lesson? Who are you? What, What did you just say to us? Do you let bandits and murderers and terrorists in your countries? So yeah. yeah, they've summoned all ten diplomats and are talking about possibly kicking them out of uh, kicking them out of Turkey. It's it's just it's interesting, folks, because the the official narrative is is that uh, the gentleman in question is a philanthropist and business person. Uh, the the backstory, according to whomever you may be reading, is is he's everything from connected to our friends Lord Malik Brown and his hood ornament George Soros to to others. So we'll see how that plays out. But I just I just found it a, a weird dust up at the end of the week. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I also heard that there, there's like eleven Mossad agents that the Turks just went after. Interesting. Yeah. Eleven. Tur- yeah, Turkey's always got a complicated relationship with Israel because they have a complicated relationship with everybody. They which do. Is good. Which is it just means they're following their own interest. You know, I've I've got Greek friends that obviously will eternally have issues with Turkey. Um, what do you call it? 
Yeah, I mean that that'll be the end of time. Uh, uh, and and my friends on the East Coast. Uh, hey, did you hear the news in Constantinople uh, from before the Ottoman Empire took it over? <laughs> you know, it's like they just you, mean you, guys, <laughs> you guys can't let go. It's like certain sports teams where the fans are like, "This is our year." It's like, it's no, year. no, it's not. No. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's complicated, and I can always tell how things are going in the Mediterranean when uh, Greek friends of mine are um, violently angry with uh, the state of Israel. Uh, or are okay with Israel and are even considering going there for a holiday because it's like okay I can I can tell that all of this has has to do with whether or not right now Turkey's relationship with Israel is good or bad. If <laughs> Turkey and Israel are having problems, then the Greeks are happy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then rinse and repeat. Just just an awareness, everybody. Um, what do you call it? Next week, Friday on the 29th. Uh, I, there's no show for me that day. Uh, Harley, I'm assuming, will we'll have his show. Yes. And then um, November 5th, uh, I'll be back. Um, I don't know how many of you may have seen the, the I mean, I'm not going to watch the interview, but I saw some of the outtakes and the clips. Um, Anderson Cooper interviewing uh, Joe Biden. Evidently, Joe now has so many drugs in his system that he cannot lower his arms. Uh, for so, <laughs> saw that thing where he's, he's standing there. No, with I missed it. <laughs> and uh, he's just walking around with his two fists in front of him. Uh, like he looks like one of those rock'em sock'em robots. For those of you who remember that See, Christmas toy under the tree from years ago. <laughs> Let me look real quick. I'm not sure. So it was yeah, Anderson. Well, well, yeah. Well, CJ's looking that up. Uh, Mike Moore said something funny on, on uh, his show this morning where he said, um, you know, a lot of times, and some of you out there may not be seeing it in the news, uh, President Biden is constantly going back to Delaware. Now, as we've joked, but it's no joke. I mean, the Biden family basically is a, a crime family, and they run the state of Delaware. Um, that's no, I'm not kidding. I'm dead serious. Um, but the thing is, is that the rumor is, is that, uh, and how do we know this? Well, we know this because um, all the air corridors are closed down. And there's Secret Service and state marshals and stuff blocking certain roads. So anybody in that part of the Northeast during weekends that's trying to go home or do anything keeps running into, you know, there's a detour through the state of Maine and Vermont before you can get home because we got to block off all traffic uh, through through Delaware. Well, why? Well, we can't tell you. Uh, planes getting suddenly rerouted or whatever. Uh, most weekends, evidently, the president goes back to um the compound, whatever you want to call it, one of their many properties up there in Delaware. Um, certain parties are joking around that it's like, well, that's where they give them the really strong drugs that they can't give them at the White House to keep them going. Um, but but more and kind of where, where his narrative usually is, is that the reason for that is um, it's so that the Biden family can meet with people that can't show up on the, the visitors' logs of the White House. Exactly. You know, because when you're selling that much artwork... <laughs> You don't necessarily want the folks who are buying it uh, appearing on anything. Um, little update for all of you. I know uh, I've shared with all of you that uh, in my own uh, defense contracting uh, universe, um, there's this thing about the mandatory shots for uh, contractors, depending on which of the various federal agencies with whom you're working, and also uh, um, somebody wake up the president. Um, and... Uh, I just, I just literally became aware this week uh, in discussions with the HR team at my firm that uh, in the month of October, which is where we are right now, 
Um, the government updated what are known as federal accounting rules, or as those of us in the biz call them, FAR clauses. Um, and as the name implies, these are these are various like updates and um, government you know mandates on various government contracts and uh, the way in which these contracts will be executed or what have you. Evidently, because I've I've seen it online, what the government has done is is they've issued new FAR clauses on various government contract vehicles, which are the the programs or whatever that that work is authorized to various vendors and stuff to execute. Um, and this no news sites. I was talking with CJ before the show started. No news sites. No media organizations. None of the normal uh, uh, places you know where you find it, uh, information about what goes on a government contract or whatever. Just a total and complete blackout unless I miss something. Um, the one place where you can find this, ironically, is on law firm websites, where they're like, "Are you a small business trying to figure this nonsense out? Call us. We'll we'll help you." Uh, but the net of it is, is it means the executive order issued by the White House is being incorporated into government contracts by saying that there's now a medical part component to these contracts. I mean, unless you're working on something that's really high stress or, or you know, in my one of my many old lives, you're working in a research and development environment where there's a lot of radiation or, or you know, light or sound or explosives or whatever, where it's like, well, you need to be in good health uh, in case something goes wrong on the test, test stand uh, and you get struck by an object or whatever. We need to know you're in, in reasonable health that you might be able to run away from it before, before it hits you. Um, so what, you know, boiling it down, uh, it, it means they've changed the contract rules and said there's a medical component. Now, the, the problem still is, A, uh, how are you going to enforce it? Is it OSHA, the Department of Labor, who? And, and, and under, under what, what uh, legal authority are they going to enforce it? Because they say. Um, the problem with the word mandate, uh, for, you know, those of you that, are, that know your way around uh, the legal community, uh, the Blacks Legal Dictionary. Uh, uh, that's, you know, kind of under the arm of a lot of uh, law students at law school. It's, it's where you go to make sure that you're using the words correctly, like moot and tort. Um, that dictionary that lawyers use says that anything that is labeled a mandate is voluntary. It's a voluntary decree or voluntary statement, but it's portrayed to the public as law. So it continues to get interesting out there. I know more and more people in my universe that are filling out uh, medical exemptions. And I also have some decisions to make because as I look at my calendar, <laughs> uh, I've got some dates coming up where if I haven't done something by that, by that date, uh, I better have a lawyer on line one just in case I need them. Um, banks in several countries are now tying people's mortgages to whether or not you've met the requirement for green energy improvements on your residence. That's kind of interesting. Speaking of, uh, you know, the concept of ex post facto after the fact, you've just signed a mortgage and then the bank or the financial institution says, well, we've just updated, uh, the terms of your mortgage without your knowledge. Um, and the green energy rules are constantly changing, by the way, depending on what country you're in here in the United States, it, it's more kind of state dependent. Uh, but if you're in Europe, especially like, you know, Germany, uh, we're unilaterally turning off the nuclear power plants. Okay. How, <laughs> how will we have lights? Um, and then, uh, you could just rent though. Uh, we have the video of the president kid up. What the hell is he doing? There you go. Look at that. <laughs> Yeah, I, what kind of drug is that, man? Is that is I, I'm, that's I'm thinking li- that's 
that's the stream, folks. That's not. I mean, Anderson's moving around. This isn't a, a frozen frame. You see how he's opening. Clo- he is on like amphetamines to the to to the, to the hilt. <laughs> he's on amphetamines. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> he is jacked right now on pure amphetamines. So, somewhere, as former President Obama is advising Joe's staff and what they're doing. <laughs> He's looking at a TV going, shit, somebody go wind him up again. He's got, look at him. He's, he's looking at, he's a faraway, he's not even making eye contact with Anderson Pooper. And he's looking maybe into a screen or something. Just, uh, uh, uh. man, he is Jack. I want this guy, you know what? I want this guy to, 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 to be removed from this earth. I want to, while he's live on stage, I want him to suffer a massive brain aneurysm. I would love that. But, well, that that may actually happen. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm hoping it does. You know, people ask. Well, me, but I, it'll I, be I, I, it'll I be by these, design because they're ready for phase three. <laughs> I got these uh, evangelicals that come up to me. You know, the the we government is from God. You know, and, the, and they're like, I pray for the president. V, do you? I'm like, yes, I do. But I'm not going to tell you what I pray for. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to go uh, old school Italy on me with the with yeah. the uh, the evil eye. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the the mortgage topic. Uh, there's two two aspects of there, a couple aspects to this. The uh, there's the green energy piece, which you may suddenly find yourself needing to put at your expense, put solar panels on your house. Um, you could just rent, which we've had that topic on Rogue a number of times because uh, we know uh, the World Economic Forum and BlackRock are fans of that. Um, then the other one, which won't come as a shock, but will kind of come as a shock. Uh, there's a growing trend that loans are being denied if you haven't had your shot. Reuters in the UK covered covered this this week. Um, uh, I've also had uh, some people I know in uh, university circles and medical circles recently tell me that their organizations have now told them, you know, on official letterhead, um, now that this is kind of the law of the land and everybody around here has to go get a... Uh, uh, a shot for the coof and you're that therefore now you're going to have to get boosters. Um, a number of these folks have told me that their organizations have now told them that commensurate with that, we're now making it mandatory that you have to have your flu shot every year. So it's not just your shot and your boosters. I'm starting to feel like one of my cats going to the vet where, where it's like, here's your annual distemper shot. Here's your whatever. Um, you all may recall on one of my prior shows, I talked about, and I, I you know, defer to, to the source of that, which was uh, Polly St. George over at Amazing Polly, um, that um, it was the CDC's public relations guy uh, a couple of years ago. He was at a conference, and all the big pharma people told him, we're just struggling because we're not missing our revenue targets on people taking flu shots. And so while he was still, and this is a thing. I mean, we, we know this about that agency. We know that about other parts of HHS that they receive stipends and things as senior leaders, which if any other federal agency, I mean, if the head of Homeland Security got a stipend from a company who makes security products for law enforcement, they'd be looking at jail or at least being terminated from their role. But but there's other government agencies, much like the Fouch, where you can do that. Uh, it's It's legal. It's considered like a facilitation payment to thank them and assist the agency for helping a private sector organization as part of public and private partnerships. It's kind of funny when I heard the term facilitation, I immediately went back to my days in the nineties where I was filling out forms for a major corporation. I cannot name because we were building communication networks in Turkey 
Algeria and other countries in the Middle East. And they had a form at this firm for Bashkish, which is basically, we would call it a bribe, <laughs> but in those parts of the world, it's just considered a facilitation payment. Uh, hey, our country's a little slow. We don't get stuff done on time. But uh, if you'd like to uh, accelerate the process for the low, low price of, we'll move, we'll move that through. Um, but yeah, these uh, folks working in, in you know, uh, medical and academic and other other types of you know state governments and things are now being told you got to get on board with with getting regular flu shots, which I found funny because while that CDC PR guy came up with the guidance to the pharmaceutical firms to help increase sales of flu shots, which what centered a lot on terror. I, I'm saying that literally, uh, terror and causing the public to become worried was his main strategy. And by the way, he's still working for the agency. So then my normal weekly missive about we have no answers on Nashville's thermobaric explosion from last December, nor the French uh, hosting provider OVH Cloud who lost a data center in a fire last March. Julian Assange is still in prison and Jeff Epstein did not kill himself. Uh, the FBI is still not pursuing athletics medical personnel uh, of our Olympic athletes and others, uh, plural, not just Dr. Nasser, uh, but they are very interested in how loud your voice is getting at parents' meetings at schools. Um, now, I did want to pause and say, why am, you know, I, I've kind of alluded to this before. Why do I bring this up every week? Why do I always have these opening bullet points about the explosions at those, those data centers and so on, Assange, Epstein, all these other topics? Because we joke about it, we talk about it, but then, um, what do you call it? It's the memory hole. You know, something happens and then poof, uh, it's gone. It always reminds me of the scene from the Batman movie in 1989 where uh, the reporter is talking to law enforcement saying, well, how did Jack Napier die? And he literally saw Napier fall into a vat of chemicals. And the guy on the other end goes, tells him it was suicide. And the reporter's like, wait a minute, I got to record this. Suicide. <laughs> I, I saw it happen. Um, <laughs> so as it, I, So I don't want us to lose sight of these things. I don't want the memory hole to win. So there's certain stuff out there that we shouldn't forget about. And the other thing is, candidly, I could probably do a whole show just on stuff that's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's that's in the memory hole. Um, and as it relates to what occurred in Nashville and France, um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Something pretty darn big was involved in that. Those events aren't isolated. And again, you know, what's what are some of the detailed points? Someone detonated a thermobaric explosive outside a key AT&T data center building where it was not well known. You, If you dug enough, you could find it. But it's unless you worked in the industry or you'd worked for the government, it wasn't really well known in public domain information that that was a major node to intelligence agencies. Now, yes, there was a lot of commercial traffic going through there. I mean, it was in downtown Nashville. Um, but it also carried some very critical federal data as well. And much like the 1993 bombing at the World Trade Center, where the bomb went off in Nashville is as critical as the fact the bombing took place. And with Nashville, the RV was parked over the exact area on the street where the underground high-speed fiber optic cables enter the AT&T building. Now, as a former telecom person and running audits of those buildings and so on, I can tell you, in our universe, this is what we call diversely pathed, diversely entered access into a data center. And depending on how big the data center is, is in, in importance, you sometimes might have three of those. But you bring power into the building from two different power grids if you can. And I'm just speaking loosely, you know, 
one cable on the north side of the building, the other one on the south side, and then one set of fiber optic cables from, let's say, AT&T on the west side of the building and the east side of the building is British Telecom or whomever. Um, you do that so exactly if something should be severed, uh, you can restore the system. Of course, the problem is, is that when you have connectivity coming into a building that is purely 100% only for use by the government, you don't necessarily have a redundant connection that isn't always necessarily in place. So by detonating this bomb, I don't know. It's more than possible, though, they severed the only connection. And of course, the media's narrative was, well, uh, in, in the case of the 1993 World Trade Center explosion in the, in the parking garage, was that um, the attackers were trying to bring down the building. But that's not true. Uh, I've talked about this in other shows. The attack at the World Trade Center building in 1993 was focused on damage to the communications nodes that were located in that part of the parking garage. And those specific communications gear were responsible for the transmissions of large financial transactions country to country or, or central bank to central banks through, at that time, what were called telex systems and other communications in use. So in this regard, we can say both attacks were carried out by people with non-public knowledge with very precise methods of attack meant to elicit a very specific infrastructure destruction or elimination. And then those attacks were buried in the memory hole as quickly as possible following those events. And in that case, I'm talking about Nashville and the World Trade Center. The bomb in Nashville wasn't a chemical bomb or, if you will, a poor man's mixture of fertilizer, diesel fuel, and some other over-the-counter stuff you can buy. It was a thermobaric bomb, and we've talked about this. It's a very difficult kind of explosive to make. And that kind of explosion, because there's many kinds of explosions, not only creates a blast wave, but it creates a lot of infrared radiation. Now, I'm not saying anything about an EMP. I'm just saying it creates a lot of infrared radiation. And after having worked in data centers and so on, I can tell you that, that IR, as we call it, or infrared radiation can do some nasty stuff to systems if they're not properly shielded or if whatever it is got through the shielding that's in the building. Now, the French data center, most Western European data centers are excellent. They're very, very well built, but more important than being well built, um, there's a lot of continuity planning. There's a lot of disaster recovery planning. The list goes on. And then the more critical element that does not tend to happen much here in the United States, it got a lot of personnel. American operations of most businesses I've worked with, it's always a constant process of how do I get people out of here? How do I offshore stuff? And it's like, but if you have a physical problem, you cannot virtually go in there from Mumbai and fix that. you got to have somebody go in the data center. There's a major data center near my house where I used to work many years ago for uh, a company. and when I first started in 98, there were probably two to 300 people working in that building with about 50 to 60 working at night. And in the early 2000s, after I left that industry, there were three, I'm not making this up, three people working third shift and about 10 to 15 people by day. Yeah, makes sense. And if you, if you went in that building in the old days, you would hear nothing. You would just hear these fans running and you'd have air running under the floor and over top of the equipment and this, that, and the other. And there, was, there wasn't a speck of dust in there. When I went in there right before I left, the, the, they literally had a, a little box with hearing protection to put the foam things in your ears like you're at the gun range. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, we don't have the people to turn off all the warning buzzers that constantly keep going off for voice and data equipment that, yep. that's been tripped. And so in Europe, you don't tend to find that. 
It, you know, I hate to go there, but you know, kind of. You don't tend to find that in Europe. You don't tend to find that in Asia. You don't tend to find that in a lot of places. Yeah, because they're not in Asia. They've got the manpower because the cost model of that labor market there. In Europe's case, things are a little bit more socialized, so it's like labor again. Especially with France, they've always got some university grad that needs to be trained in something. So, American data centers are very well built. Usually, not always. Not well staffed. Uh, in Europe, yeah, exactly. In Europe, they're well-built, but but they've also got the staff in case something happens. So why does all of this matter? Because the French facility lost one of, I believe it was four buildings total. They lost the one building that was the most critical. And the fire suppression and continuity systems didn't function the way they should have. It was a catastrophic failure. Again, it's important to note, it's not just the equipment or the software turning on certain systems or whatever. It's the human element. All of those things failed in the case of that facility in France. And if you've ever seen the fire, it was impressive. And of course, what's the other takeaway? That facility was critical to the European government because mm -hmm. it, it was near uh, Brussels. Uh, several large private equity firms ran their stuff through there, and the list goes on. So in conclusion, and especially when it comes to these two data centers, one in the United States and one in uh, uh, France, these uh, or national France, these were severely impacted by very exotic attacks. By people with the capacity to plan and the skill to execute these events who are part of a very small population of folks in the world who would know how to do something like that. And we don't even really truly understand. You can, and again, no harm, no foul. You can get really seasoned people who work in these industries and tell you, well, I think it was this. And it's like, yes, and you have all the experience in the world and all the credentials in the world to make that statement. But we don't know that that's exactly what the heck was going on here. And we don't really know what the goals were or why these attacks took place. Now, the other thing I always found interesting about both of these events is the loss of life was very minimal. In fact, the attack in Nashville, as we know, there were, there were speakers on the vehicle telling people to get away from the, the vehicle before it detonated. So, and that's important. Sometimes executing an attack like that with a minimal loss of life is in and of itself a message. It has nothing to do, by the way, with we're a better form of adversary because we minimize loss of life. It's a lot easier to just strike a location, damage it, harm it, collateral damage be damned. I mean, look at some of the stuff that went on in Afghanistan or Syria or even the, the uh, uh, warehouse in Lebanon that blew up. These specific events were executed by people with the patience and the power to wait and make sure they achieved their goals, but yet did so without causing a lot of loss of life. And that takes some talent. And there's no way, in my opinion, these events are isolated and not coordinated probably for the same reason, but by people with an unbelievable skill set that they're communicating via the way in which they carried out these attacks. Moving right along, uh, for any of you film fans, um, may want to go watch the 1970s classic Logan Run, uh, or Logan's Run, uh, not the modern one, the, the one with Michael uh, York and uh, Jenny Augutter. Uh, the message in that film is endorsed by the World Economic Forum and the Council on Foreign Relations and all those other people looking out for you because uh, you only need to live until you're 35. And there's a great exchange in that movie by one of the enforcers that they call Sandmen, where if you don't go along with taking part in this, this carousel process where you fight to be renewed uh, or you're, you're killed because that's just the way society is. You only get to live until you're 35. So they have these Sandmen who go around trying to find people who are trying to escape or whatever. And there's an exchange where one of the Sandmen says to the uh, Jenny Augutter's character, if you want to live past 35 for some crazy reason, you can try for a renewal on carousel like everyone else. 
And she looks at him and she says, have you ever met anyone who's ever been renewed? And then there's just this uncomfortable pause where he changes the topic and, you know, he's like, let's just have sex and, and <laughs> the scene moves on. Um, kind of reminds me of the coof when you start talking to people about data. Um, uh, Sal uh, Mercagliano of the YouTube site, What's Going On With Shipping. I mentioned him on, a, on last week's show. Uh, he had a very non-political way to try and tackle the issues of shipping on the West Coast, which was very interesting. Um, I'll give Sal credit. You know, his, his uh, genre is he's not concerned about uh, underlying contributing factors or government mistakes or various theories about how we got here. He's just a maritime expert who's also a university uh, professor. Um, he has two options that sounded pretty good to me. Uh, his first, he had a lot of satellite photos and so on that he was using. He said, we've got a massive backlog of empty containers at the ports in Los Angeles and Long Beach. I know that V and some other folks here on Rogue have kind of gotten into how that happened. Um, his comment was, get those containers out of there. Move them to sports stadium parking lots or even the many military bases in the area uh, who you know have a lot of open space and stack them up there. At least try and get a lot of that out of there to free up uh, movement of cargo through that area and more room for them to uh, put stuff off to the side. And then the second was utilizing the Navy Ready Reserve Fleet. Now, I knew of the Ready Reserve Fleet, and unfortunately, a lot of it was mothballed, and those ships are kind of old and so on. It was in case we had to start World War III with the Soviet Union and Europe, we could, we could get all of our equipment over there. What he's talking about are the specific ships in the Ready Reserve Fleet who were all built back in the mid-'70s. Um, who are large cargo ships, but they've got one to two large cranes on the top of the decks. And, you know, I mean, they're military grade gear. They were, they were designed, uh, they're called roll on roll off ships. They're designed to get cargo into those boats quickly and unload it quickly in times of war. We used them in the, the 91 military campaign in 2003. And they're always kept in good shape, uh, because these ships are more critical to the ready reserve fleet than, than some of the others. So, his comment was, is that you can use those vessels and they can start unloading ships in the harbor or who are sitting off the coast. And then that way you can tr f further free up traffic at the ports. Uh, a number of those cargo ships won't need to dock. They can just unload the ships into these naval ships that, that, and I think if I recall correctly, there were two vessels in San Francisco. There's four or five, depending on the long, the ports at Long Beach and Los Angeles. But it's enough that they could seriously take a bite out of all of that cargo that's sitting off the, the coast. And then he also brought up an interesting data point about the port in Miami, because there's a lot of chatter out there right now about, you know, oh, well, we'll just sail those, those ships over to Miami because Florida doesn't have the restrictive policies of Florida and this, that, and the other. Uh, there's some truth to that, but the other end of it is, is A, you've still got to get those boats through the Panama Canal. That's going to take time. Uh, you're burning up fuel. That's money. Uh, but the other thing is, is he brought up an interesting data point. He wasn't putting Miami down in any way, shape or form, but he just said, you got to understand Miami's port last year in 2020, they moved a million containers in one year. Los Angeles's port will move a million containers in a month. So we need those West coast ports. And so yeah. the, the tie up there is the, is the heart of the matter. So I thought it was interesting. He's got, and I've mentioned him before he's, he's got good stuff, but like a lot of things, I mean, I don't want to say the sad thing, but but he reminds me of some of the retired executives I used to work with in Washington, where we would come into various agencies and say, hey, we can fix this problem. And, I, and we understand it's government, it's slow, it's going to take time, you have to get authorization, yada, yada, yada. However, it can be done. And we would run into a wall of bureaucrats that would just sit there and go, we don't care how well it works or who other agencies have done it. 
uh, we want no part of it. And that's kind of my concern for Sal because he's a very, very seasoned guy and he worked in the industry. People know him. Um, I know he's floated this idea because I've seen his stuff on other sites. Whether or not people are listening to him, uh, I don't know. So with that, a touch of humor again on a, on a friend of ours that we love dearly here at Rogue, which is Jim Trafficant. Uh, CG, if you'd pull that clip up. This is for the documentary about Jim Trafficant. Here we go. Thanks, sir. Uh, we need audio siege. Oh, there, there we go. This is from Jim Trafficking to the IRS and the FBI. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm I love that guy. This is Congress business. Jim was never a team player. He, I don't know if he was meant to be a congressman. Congress hasn't done their job. I love America, but hate the government. The American people are taxed off. He had a great sense of humor. The IRS has turned into a bunch of political prostitutes. You don't know which part's brilliant and which part's psychotic. Huge ego. They lie again, I'm involved in kicking in the crotch. Thank you very much. <laughs> do I wear skinny ties? Yeah. Do I do my hair with a weed whacker? I admit. Look at my wide bottom pants, my boots, and I certainly haven't changed. Jim Trafficant was the congressman you get from Central Casting if the director was Quentin Tarantino. I'll kick your ass personally. Bullshit. You're looking at a junkyard dog in the face of a hurricane. I want to thank Congressman Trafficant for the work he does in Washington. My district's one of the poorest, and those so-called rich people, I want to hire my people. In today's environment, he would be a presidential candidate. Jim Trafficant was the Mahoning Valley. We were the second biggest steel producing city in the world. In six months, over 50,000 men lost their jobs. When the mills closed, the mob then started telling politicians what to do. If you're interested in politics, the mob wants you then. He was the sheriff who was going to resurrect the town again. He was going to bring us back. The mob should get out of Youngstown. Primetown, USA. Youngstown would make the Sopranos look like Girl Scouts. Jim Tavikin was the white knight coming in to save us. We rode that right into the Congress. Beam me up. The noisiest act on Capitol Hill. But I'll be damned if I'll be pressured by government. Pratigan is charged with racketeering and bribery. His crocodile mouth got his hummingbird ass in trouble. I'm not going to admit the crime that I did not do and will do the time and expect a long time to try and shut me up. Everybody's going to want to see how it plays out. Beam me up. <laughs> Legend. <laughs> Legend. Jim Trafficant. Oh, and that machine gun thing, folks, was no joke. When he was uh, not sure if he was like a deputy or adjunct or something, and he would go on these crime raids, which kills me because the crime raids were on the very organized crime people that put him in office. So they always knew he was coming in advance. Um, but you know he had that that PT Barnum aspect to him, and I love that line about he's the he's the candidate you get from central casting of Quentin Tarantino's the director. Um, but you know for for all of Jim's mouth, uh, and I did this on another show, um, his insertion of a piece of of uh, language into a piece of legislation shut down the Treasury Department by something like ninety percent or more 
from seizing. What the government could do was they'd seize your property and then you could go to court and see whether or not they'll give it back to you, by which time they'd already sold it. Uh, Jim's thing was you have to show proof to a federal judge before you seize it and you can hold it in escrow, but you can't do anything with it, government, until the, the owners have had the chance to go to trial. And so it reduced the seizures by the government by like 90%. So, I mean, for all of the flash and dash, there, there was some substance there. And there was a lot of pieces of legislation that Trafficant did get through. And, you know, people on both sides of the aisle, they knew what you're getting into when you're dealing with them. But he did, he did a lot of good. He did a lot of good. And I, I miss having people like him. Uh, I miss uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, a, a great Democrat. Um, yeah, from New York. Who, yeah, who fought, who fought his own uh, uh, ethnic community that was supporting the IRA. And he had to call them out and say, you got to understand what you're getting yourselves into here uh, when it comes to international terrorism. And uh, Henry Hyde, uh, yeah. a great Republican who was like basically the, the walking library uh, of the House. And I, I miss, I miss all three of them. Uh, cause that, that just was a different era. Um, what is old is new again. And there's a term I'd like to share with all of you from the, the days of the former Soviet union. And that word is in the Russian, uh, nomenklatura. Now, what is that? Uh, loosely put, it was a system of literally tracking the most preferred communist party officials and the bureaucrats who supported them in the former Soviet union and Eastern Europe. And they literally did maintain lists. And if you got taken off the list, life got really bad. Um, depending on how you define it, they were the best of the best, or at least interpreted as such, in Soviet society considered most critical for keeping that geriatric patient of a country functioning for all those years. Um, it could also be considered a form of feudalism uh, with various layers of those at the top with supporting structures of individuals below them. And you had certain privileges and so on as you went, went down that list. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me. Now, academics of various persuasions uh, have discussed the various elements of that system in the old Soviet Union. Uh, some supporting the model is a necessity of certain skill sets within an attempted more equal society. I'm looking at French left-wing academics when I say that. Uh, papers written by folks from the American academic New Left in the 1970s, as well as European socialists who were critical of that model uh, because they said it was a betrayal of the ideals of modern socialism. Now, when it comes to situations like this, as I often say, go to the source or go to people's diaries or whatever it might be, and um, find the people who were part of that system and wrote about it. Now, the, the main person who's also often pulled up is a gentleman by the name of Mikhail Vozlensky. Uh, he was the Soviet Union's translator at the Nuremberg trials, and he had a number of other posts. And he wrote a book. Uh, that went into the underground at the time. It was called the Samizdat. It was literature that was forbidden by the Soviet government. And Voslensky's book has been translated into something like over 40 languages or whatever, and it's still in publication. And in his book, he talked about the structures, how it worked, the justifications. But if you really want to understand kleptocracy, let's, let's get out of all the flowery language of PhDs. If you really want to understand a criminal enterprise as it's running and kleptocracy and the, the new feudalism that I know V and, and uh, Matthew Errett and others have, have mentioned here on Rogue. Um, so why do we care? Um, well, like I was saying, the, the part of this that was lost is not the erudite, you know, in an ideal government, you know, should something like that exist or not. Um, who's the patron of who, et cetera. But in literal practice, it was a society within a society. And this is where it kind of gets interesting. 
you could go into department stores. Moscow had one called GUM, G-U-M, um, where you were taken to special areas. In fact, you didn't even enter the store through the front door. Your your car or limo took took you in uh, through a completely different completely different entrance. And when you went into those parts of the store, it had Western clothing, appliances, and other things that the average Soviet citizen could not get their their hands. And they on. do the same thing in North Korea. Exactly, and it's used with with even more uh, finesse, shall we say, in North in North Korea, because in North Korea, uh, that's the difference between living and breathing. Um, there's there was an entire bureau in the KGB. The KGB had several several bureaus, you know, looking at at crime across the Soviet Union. There was another bureau dedicated to assassination. There was another bureau dedicated to intelligence gathering, both on people and technology. But they dedicated an entire bureau of the KGB, the the secret police to stealing or procuring through front companies medicine and medical equipment from Western firms for use by people approved to be on those lists. You didn't have any problems purchasing a car or even just getting one if you needed one just for the weekend. And you could fast track your kids yeah, you into can, Moscow. You can get a Lexus somewhere. instead of a Lada. <laughs> hey, the Lada, the Lada is solid, man. Um, <laughs> you had access to higher quality food. And one of the things in a number of defectors books that I've, I've read about and Boslensky brought it up and, and it just seems to be a topic that keeps coming up. I always find this funny that like one of the most prized things members of the nomenclatura had access to was they had access to Swiss chocolate, yep. the really hard stuff to find, not the, not the big, the big branded stuff. Um, so, um, you, and then last but not least, one of the biggest ones of all, you could travel outside the Soviet union with limited or no KGB escorts, because why would you defect? You have it better in the Soviet Union than many people in the West. So this wasn't about national philosophy or achieving big intellectual ideals of philosophers from the 1800s, whether it's Marx or Engels or or a wide variety of folks. Matthew Arrett does does excellent work in that area. Um, But you can't maintain power in a state like that pure and simple, without having an undergroup who's helping you maintain power. Correct. You need those cadres because the masses are eventually going to come at you with pitchforks if there's not a layer of people protecting you. So now in the world in which we live in 2021 going into 2022, let's now consider BlackRock and Vanguard and other elite private equity firms and the people who are on those boards of directors. Let's consider Silicon Valley executives who aspire to reaching Mars with manned flight before NASA. And then, of course, a certain layer of our own government officials. And let me take it even further. Um, this last summer, there was a um, fundraiser at a winery up in Northern California in the wine country with Silicon Valley executives and government leaders, mostly California politicians, but some other uh, folks from Washington. All the staff who were serving them were African-American and Latino. Yep. But none of the attendees were. And the staff had to wear masks. The attendees did not. Bill Gates's daughter's wedding that we recently saw in the news. They checked your vaccine status, but there was no social distancing or masks once you were at the location, which was a couple of different locations in the Northeast, not an area of the country right now known for being flexible. And then uh, the president and his wife, Jill, walked through a high-end Washington, D.C. restaurant, I may mispronounce this, called Fola Marie, recently without wearing a mask, and the press was following them, so the photos got out. And that, of course, put the, the White House press secretary on the defense. Uh, the defensive. Well, and then, well, Rag- Raggedy Ann told us it's just different. It's just different. Yo, it is different. Yes, yes, because there are members of the nomenclatura. The LA Press Club had their 63rd annual awards event this last Sunday. 
In Los Angeles, no masks, none. Lori Lightfoot, Beetlejuice, mayor of Chicago, uploaded a photo to social media of her maskless at a sporting event. That's not an oversight. That's a display of power and superiority. Now, I know there are those out there who might say, but Vellis, you can't compare the practices inside the Soviet Union with Western society today. Why not? Wealthy, wealthy people can always buy what they want or more expensive items and services because they've got the wealth and they've got the connections. You're absolutely right, but I'm not talking about expensive box seats at a sporting event. I'm not talking about exclusive dinners at wineries or palatial estates. I'm talking about your ability to travel without following certain security or health restrictions that the rest of society has to follow because of your class in society. Because in this feudalistic society, you don't have the authority. You're not a member of the new aristocracy. You're not a member of the nomenclatura. You're, these are people who are exempt by their very presence from obeying public health rules. Their, their notoriety or their awareness in the public eye is enough that they're, they're exempt from anything that applies to you. Right. And so, so just a thought, because especially my family being half, half Eastern European, um, I, I, with great, great angst, I tell you that sincerely with great angst that it's like, wow, you, you even had to go so far that you brought back the nomenclatura. I can't believe it. So with the uh, the remaining time, I yield the floor. Uh, CJ and V, if you guys had some other stuff you wanted to, to pitch in on. V, you go first. Uh, you go ahead. No, you. <laughs> <laughs> no, just a couple a couple things, Bellas. Uh, great content today. I know I enjoyed it. I'm confident that our, our listeners did as well. Um, and also just, you know, a huge shout out to the people in Discord. Thank you. I don't always comment on all the links and everything because I literally we could spend all day in there if we, if we chose to. But I appreciate people sharing the articles and news and everything information that's in there. The thing that I want to do real quick is just draw attention and make sure that we we support and applaud uh, many of these uh, very public figures who are really not backing down to the federal mandates. And I've had some difference in opinion in terms of uh, Dan Bonagino. Um, you know, I think he looks at things very politically um, all the time, which is fine. That's you know his right to do so. Uh, but he's he's standing ground. He it, you know even though he is, I believe he is vaccinated. He's making a decision that he will not, in terms of the mandates, if I can't remember what satellite program that picks him up, that you know he's willing to to walk if there's. Uh, those mandates instituted. So I don't have to play the video unless you guys want to hear a little bit. It's completely up to you guys. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, here we go. Live on air to his radio syndicator Cumulus that he will quit over the mandates. Imagine the countless number of individuals trying to explain to them. these companies ever thought of that. The countless numbers of moms and dads who are sitting at some kitchen table explaining to their kids how they may have to move out, how daddy doesn't have a job. Because a bunch of people in a C-suite thought it'd be a good idea to sit around and play pretend Dr. Fauci for a moment and mandate people jam something in their bodies that they don't want to take. You ever put yourself in that, in that role? You ever put yourself at that kitchen table with mom and dad telling their kids that? Imagine how the kids respond, that fear they got to live with. You know, I grew up without a lot of money. My mom used to make bologna sandwiches for dinner. And when the bologna was no good, you'd cook it and you'd make it good right quick, right? I'm not leaving any of those guys behind. You can have me or you can have the mandate. But you can't have both of us. 
Now, Dan Bongino is wow. himself fully vaccinated. He has been back. Wow. Very powerful message there and really personalizing it um, with, with families and many individuals and people that I know that have, have left their profession uh, because of uh, mandates and one of those being a, a local doctor. So I want to celebrate that. The other video I want to draw attention to is the uh, the video that I have not brought over yet, but here it is. And that's with uh, Ron DeSantis. And he put out a tweet yesterday. Uh, Gus sent it out. It was don't tread on Florida. Yep. <laughs> and we are literally watching a, a true battle unfold between what I'm deeming and Tucker Carlson, he he's the one that care, you know came up with it was the uh, the you know United New United States, uh, the Florida, Florida, you know, come back, you know, going up against the federal government. So so let let's delve into this for just a minute. Well, pretty much since the day Joe Biden got inaugurated, you've been hearing in the media every day that the state of Florida is a COVID hotspot. Virtually every person in the state has died of the coronavirus. But suddenly you're not hearing that anymore. Why is that? Well, because the numbers are too stark to deny. In the last seven days, Florida has averaged few, fewer COVID cases per capita than virtually any other state in the United States. It ranks 48 out of 50. Now the governor of the state, Ron DeSantis, has announced a special legislative session to ban COVID-19 related vaccine mandates, not just by the state, but by businesses yep. throughout the state of Florida. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, joins us now. Governor, thanks so much for coming on. So if you would explain what this would mean and why you're doing it. Tucker, over more than anything, this is an individual choice. Uh, your livelihood should not be dependent on whether you get a COVID shot, much less in the future if these mandates take hold, whether you get your yearly booster or booster every six months or whatever they're going to make you do. Uh, this is a personal decision. Number two, what Biden's doing is unconstitutional, and we have a responsibility as a state to fight back against federal overreach. But then number three, this is not good for the economy. This is just bad policy. You have a lot of businesses that actually need people, particularly in healthcare. And what, you're going to give people walking papers in the middle of this? So I think it's bad all around. And I think that, yes, we're going to be doing litigation against the Biden administration, which is important. But we also need to do legislation to provide protections for folks in Florida. And I'll tell you, Tucker, yes, Biden's doing mandates. And I disagree with that. I think we all do. Uh, but there are businesses that are doing this on their own, even apart from the mandates. And these are employees of theirs that have been working throughout this whole pandemic. That's and right. now they're being told you get your walking papers. That is not a free choice. You know, Tucker, we had a nurse today at our event. She has already had COVID and she's pregnant right now. And so she says, I think this is something that I don't want to do. How is that something that you're going to deprive her of a right to make a living based on that very reasonable decision? So the, the White House is very focused on you and on your state. And this is the centerpiece of their domestic agenda, vaccine mandates. This is the whole thing. It's what they care about most. So if you openly defy them, I mean, are you expecting them to hit back, try to choke off federal health care money to the state? Or do you expect some kind of confrontation with the Biden administration? Well, I'm sure they're going to do whatever they can. Tucker, over the summer when we had Delta hit, uh, I started a monoclonal antibody program because people were being admitted to the hospital without getting early treatment. So since we put that program in, our daily admissions have gone down about 90 percent. Well, as we were doing that, Biden tried to cut off the supply to Florida because this was working. And so I imagine they're definitely going to do something uh, to, to try to hit back. But at the end of the day, do you think people, do you want to protect people's jobs or do you not? And I'm going to be on the side of protecting people's jobs 
And if Joe Biden wants to be on the side of causing people to lose their job, well, uh, then we'll let him do that and we'll fight the good fight. Yeah, That dude, Ron DeSantis, is amazing. I want a wall. I want a wall of the undead around him all the time, keeping Absolutely. him safe. Absolutely, one hundred percent. One one final soundbite for all of you, our lovely audience yeah. today, um, is the following. Um, personal comment: um, I'm knee deep in this right now myself. Um, I've got other federal contractors with whom I've worked at a number of other firms and in a number of other states who are asking me, "What are you going to do? This is what we're trying to do." Um, the pressure on me personally is becoming quite intense. Uh, I've got people implying to me, regardless of the kinds of work I've done, because it's like, yeah, we've seen your dance card. They don't know about this show, but we've seen your dance card. We know what you've done in your past life. And even that is not enough to ever let you in the door again if you don't get this shot. Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? And it's like, wow. I'm not saying like, you know, come on, those of us that have done Lucifer's work, what, what do you mean we can't come in the, the party? I mean, you guys always have give us a free drink when we show up. Right. But it's it's a lot of skilled people. Uh, I have been, I, I will say, I've had to raise an eyebrow at some of the folks I've seen who who have been let go. People, uh, they had the uh, the nuclear labs just lost, I don't know what the number was, but it was like 100 or over 100. Uh, of people with with really high security clearances. Those aren't top secret folks. Those are what used to be, I don't know what the Department of Energy's new one is. There used to be a type of clearance called the letter Q, which is kind of funny. Uh, we talked about that on a road hey, show. Hey, we, we know about thing. them and the, and, and the crash helmets. Right. They're going to well, take care of things. Right. The, the people with a Q clearance, that's that was the Department of Energy clearance for you get to know what's going on with our nuclear weapons and and other other types of materials and and the trade in stolen nuclear material etc. These are the kinds of people that they're letting go from the from uh, jobs with nuclear weapons research facilities and similar. That's not a minor thing. Now the other thing that's violently important because I will not be on next week and I want to make sure you all hear me on this. Do not get down, folks, emotionally, out there whether in how you feel about yourself or what you think your families might feel about you or whatever it is on this topic, because I've got, I've got people in my own life that are looking at me going, you're in good health. What are the odds? Anything? I mean, man, please don't roll a hand grenade into your life like this. Go just do it. And it's like, eh, I'm trying, but I got a lot of dead relatives in Imperial Russia looking at me going, this is how it starts. Yep. This, this is how it starts. This is why we died. This is why we had to get all of you to the United States. Because we knew we wouldn't make it. So if you find yourselves, folks, having to take a shot, don't beat yourself up over it. Don't. We've, we've given you counsel here on Rogue. There's other people out there. There's plenty of articles. A week or two before you take it, make sure you've got yogurt, a lot of healthy fruit, and silica water, which is all the Fiji stuff or the Hawaiian water, and keep that regimen up a week or two after. It will, it will definitely help to smooth this whole, pro- I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing that when I take the the uh, shot for shingles later this year, anyway, because I know that one can kind of throw you. But don't get down if you find yourself having to take it. I got a lot of folks I know in the commercial space and in the government space who are like, I just, it's like, hey, it, no one, no one's going to show up at your door and start calling you a traitor. You had to do what you had to do. No one's going to, no one, nobody's going to fault you for that. So do what you got to do. There's a lot of other freedoms of yours and your family that you can still fight for. 
There's a lot of other causes that you can still support. And I know the media there at the end of the clip CJ was showing, I know the media tried to take a shot at, at Bongino saying, well, he's had the shot. Yeah, and it's a god darn free country, and it was his decision. He's talking about something much bigger about his program and where his content is. Mm. So don't don't beat yourselves up, folks, or, or feel bad about relatives that that now if to channel Gus, if your relatives completely lost lost their minds or or uh, for friends of mine in the manufacturing sector, if you've completely thrown a rod in that Chevy 350, that's a different matter. But, you know, if your loved ones did the best they could, but but grudgingly had to go through with this, it, it is what it is. Some of us will be able to hold out. Some of us won't. That's that's a that's a deeply personal decision, and I totally respect any of you out there that are struggling with this. Because because my butt is in it right now, six ways from Sunday, and I I am I know what I want to do, but but I'm struggling with it. I got attorneys I'm talking to. Um, I gotta I gotta decide what I'm doing because my my window's coming down here the next two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I your, it's your livelihood, man. It's like unless you and I, look, most people don't have a plan B. I mean, if you if you're if you've been in the game for as long as you have, and there's a lot of people that have been in their respective industries for as long as they have, there's no plan B. There's no, all right, I'm going to start an online chocolate store. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, you just can't do that. You know, so I, I, it's a tough situation. It's a it tough is. situation. It is. So keep keep the faith, folks. And and uh, we got Harley coming up next, and I will see you all in two weeks. And my deep thanks to CJ and V, as always, for, for the show. And you all be well, and I'll see some of you on Discord later. Yep. With that being said, folks, we're over now. Stay locked and loaded here. Harley is next. Take it away, CJ.